Good morning. Lovely to be with you this morning. Um, uh, 260 million Christians face high or extreme levels of persecution in the top 50 countries on Open Doors World Watch list. That's a list of the like the most dangerous places to be a Christian in the world. Last year it was 245 million, and there's another. 50 million facing high levels of persecution in a further 20 con- 23 countries. Persecution is getting worse. 45 countries have been designated extreme or very high by open doors. This is five more than last year. Attacks against churches have risen by 500%. 9,488 compared to 1,847 the previous year. Whilst fewer Christians are killed for their faith than previous years, the number is still very high, at 2,983 in 2019. In India and China, facial recognition technology and um, artificial intelligence have been used to identify and discriminate against believers. Do we care? No, but do we actually care? Do we just have this fiery sense of, I don't know, injustice in the moment? Hearing that, think, oh, that's terrible. Yeah, those are my brothers and sisters. That's really bad. But actually, in our day-to-day lives, does it cross our minds? I believe, one, I know Christ first is a church that does care. We care for those less fortunate than ourselves. Many of us who help with Afghan refugees um, on a regular basis. However, sometimes we need a spot check, don't we? We need to check um, how are we caring for our fellow believers, not just abroad in persecuted countries, but also those around us who are struggling financially, mentally, health-wise. It's really important. Jesus makes it clear, very clear, the way you treat brothers and sisters is the way you treat him. This is one of the biggest issues Christ first faces as a church all churches face as we seek to follow the lord faithfully especially as a church in a wealthy country this passage is going to be a changing one um but hang in there there's so much hope and excitement as well we will see how nehemiah faces similar but different issue and i pray the holy spirit changes us in the same way he changed the people of god back then so Nehemiah 5. Um, in this story, this chapter, we see three things. A problem, a reaction, and a catalyst. So first of all, a problem. You know those times when everything seems to go wrong. like and Everything that could go wrong goes wrong, and the situation's a nightmare. Um, we're kind of seeing this at the moment with the cost of living. Um, a mixture of COVID, the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Um, economic uncertainty due to Brexit has caused the cost of living to rise and many people are struggling and struggling to pay bills. A situation like the situation that we're in was happening then, but much, much worse. It's an amazing bit of storytelling in verse 1 to 5. The writer includes three complaints and that progressively get worse and worse. It's like a crescendo into the final one. We read in verse 2, the first complaint, 
With our sons and daughters, we are many. So let us get grain that we may eat and keep alive. So we hear not enough grain. Second of all, next complaint, verse 3. We are mortgaging our fields and our vineyards and our houses to get grain because of the famine. So there's a famine and people having to mortgage property. Third of all and worst of all, verse 4 and 5. We are borrowing money for the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards. Now our flesh is as their uh, is is now our flesh is as the flesh of our brothers. Our children are as their children. Yet we are forcing our sons and daughters to be slaves, and some of our daughters have already been enslaved. But it is not in our power to help it, for other men have our fields and our vineyards. So not only is there a famine and not enough grain, there's also a tax from the Persian king Artaxerxes, and people have had to borrow money. They are forced to sell their children in slavery. With no prospect of redeeming them, as they have no property. What's worse is the word for enslaved, daughters being enslaved, most people think has sexual undertones, that they were sold into prostitution. And when you take a step back, the situation is even worse. We're in the process of Nehemiah's governor organising the rebuilding of the walls. That would have meant people would have to leave their jobs for a bit and work on the wall, so people aren't farming. And so a famine plus not enough farmers is a, is a nightmare. Also, we know from outside sources that there was little trading in the area due to hostility. But worst of all, worst of all, those who had lent money to fellow Israelites who were poor had charged interest. Verse 7, in Nehemiah's speech, 7 to 13, he says, you are exacting interest each from his brother. And on top of that, verse 8, slaves who have been brought back from the nations, Israelite slaves have been brought back from the nations, have been sold back into the slave trade, verse 8. As far as we are able, we have brought back our Jewish brothers who have been sold to the nations, but you even sell your brothers that they may be sold to us. This severely violated God's law. There's many Old Testament passages and loads. I could quote from Exodus, um, Leviticus, Deuteronomy condemn these two practices, but none more uh, clearly, clearly than Leviticus 25, verse 36. Take no interest from him or profit, but fear your God, that your brother may live beside you. And verse 42, for they are my servants, whom I brought out of the land of Egypt. They shall not be sold as slaves. Some of God's people are suffering greatly, whilst rich members of God's people do nothing to care for them, and even worse, exploit them. So this is a dreadful situation, awful situation, and an extreme situation calls for an extreme calls for an extreme reaction from Nehemiah, governor of Jerusalem. We read in verse six to seven his um, his initial reaction. First of all, he says, "I was very angry when I heard their outcry." See, anger is the right emotion to this injustice. It's a righteous anger. What the people are doing is disobedience to the highest degree as it opposes Yahweh's very character as the God of the oppressed, the God who took slaves out of Egypt. But next we read that he takes counsel himself. His anger doesn't fade, nor does he lash out in an ungodly manner. No, he takes a minute to process his anger and figure out the next steps. And finally, he brings charges. Having thought about his response, Nehemiah takes the cry of the oppressed and brings it publicly the highest in the land, the nobles and officials, and he calls them to change. 
in front of all the people. Verse 613 is a whole long speech attacking this practice of interest and of selling Israelites into slavery. He even gets the priests involved to make sure the people swear to change, to make sure they actually do it. This is incredibly brave. It's like the prime minister calling out their cabinet and MPs in front of the whole country publicly and telling them that they are immoral and they need to change. It's political suicide. It would never happen in this country. It's incredibly brave. And that is unlike, his whole reaction is unlike our society's reaction to injustice. We only speak up about injustice when A, it looks good, makes us look good, virtue signalling. People only stand up for causes in the public eye that make them look good. And second of all, we often feel the anger, often self-righteously, type something on Twitter and sign a petition online, but ultimately do not get our hands dirty and stay in our chair. Armchair activism, as it's called. And we can sometimes do this, we can act self-righteously, but also we can do something like it, but less, less negative in church. But still, we feel that fit of rage. I'll feel super convicted. But the feeling can die as soon as we hit tea and coffee. We need to think how we bring about change and then be brave in doing so. Nehemiah goes even further, though. He gives up his rights for the sake of his suffering brothers and sisters. Verse um, 14. Moreover, from the time that I was appointed to be governor to the land of Judah, from the... 20th year to the 32nd year of Artaxerxes the king, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allowance of the governor. And when he entertained people, he paid for it out of his own pocket. Christ just wants to be a church who gives everything, even if they see the world, even if they are the things the world sees as rights, even if we give up our well-earned money, our well-earned time to rest, but instead we use it to pray, to intercede for our brothers and sisters. Maybe our reputation because we stand up for things that the world doesn't like. And so the reputation that we've built, that the world values, goes. We want to go above and beyond for the brothers and sisters struggling around us and for the persecuted church. So what changes? What changes things? We live in a world in which the rich exploit the poor. And that's the pattern of life it always has been. And sometimes it feels like it always will be. What breaks the cycle? How will the people of God act differently? Well, look with me at the reason Nehemiah gives for change. Verse 9. Ought you not to walk in the fear of our God? It's the fear of the Lord that changes things. He repeats it again when he doesn't take his food allowance. He says, um, but I did not do so because of the fear of God. Now, what, what, is, what is the fear of the Lord? I think we sometimes think that fear is a bad thing um, and we like to talk about loving God and stuff like that. But actually, the two are more interconnected and more complicated than that. Like some love can be really bad if you love something bad or if you love, um, I don't know, something too much and that leads you to act in a bad manner. And likewise, we think fear is bad, but fear is actually the fear of the Lord is different to what we think. It's not a bad fear. But it's basically living your life knowing that you're under the gaze of God and finding delight in the things that he delights in. But what does this look like actually in practice? Well, Nehemiah helps us with this. First of all, to fear God is to honour God's name. What's been happening with the slaves is the fact that, well, people have um, 
thought badly about Yahweh's name. It says, ought you not to walk in the fear of our gods to prevent the taunts of the nations our enemies? What does the situation look like with Israelites selling Israelites? Yahweh isn't great. His people oppress each other. They hate each other. And it's the same for us. Not that the situation is different. We don't, we don't exploit our brothers and sisters in this country or around the world. But this idea of do we care for their suffering is massive. It's repeated in John 13, 35, this theme in a famous verse. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. We want to bring honour to God's name. And we do this by loving each other. People will see there's something different about us, that we don't live for ourselves, but instead we serve other people. Secondly, to fear God is to obey his words. It's widely recognised that Nehemiah's speech, verses 6 to 13, is hinting at Leviticus 25, the passage we looked at, which talks all about the year of Jubilee and further laws about interest, about slaves and other things. We know this because the repetition of brother, that's throughout Leviticus 25, and his uh, brother is mentioned uh, seven times in this passage. But also, the fear of God comes up a lot in Leviticus 25, as you can see. For I am the Lord your God, um, you shall, sorry, but you shall fear your God, for I am the Lord your God. And um, verse 43 as well. What Nehemiah is saying with these allusions to scripture is wake up. What you're doing is terrible and it's in disobedience to God's word. Now, whilst we aren't exploiting God's people in the same way they are, these commands about caring for brothers and sisters are echo for us in the New Testament. John 13, 34, the verse before. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. If we fear God, we will obey his commands in his words, show Christ-like love to fellow believers, giving up what we have dying to ourselves and giving what we have time to visit um, brothers and sisters around us who are in need, who are ill, um, and praying for um, fellow believers. To fear God is to care about his judgment. As in verse 13, you saw something funny, but having made the people swear an oath, Nehemiah does do a funny thing. He like kind of shakes his clothes, says in verse 13, I also shook out the fold of my garment and said, so may God shake out every man from his house and from his labour who does not keep this promise. So may he be shaken out and emptied. This is like a visual aid of God's justice and judgment. That kind of the prophets do things similar a lot in the Old Testament. For example, Jeremiah 19, God tells Jeremiah to grab a clay pot and then just smash it, indicating what, um, how God will punish Judah and Jerusalem's disobedience. By doing this, Nehemiah says, I really mean this. If you, the Israelites, break your promise, Yahweh will not be happy and justice will come. In Matthew 25, Jesus tells a kind of parable of the sheep and the goats. I think often people, we mistake this to mean Jesus talking about all the poor. And he cares for all the poor. But in this passage, because he talks about brothers, my brothers and sisters, he's meaning poor Christians. He says, And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. 
Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the, ele- into the eternal fire, prepare for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. If I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Rather scarily, this judgment's extended to the here and now for those who ignore suffering Christians. It's very clear what you do to them, you do to Christ. If you do not care for them, you do not care for Christ. A mark of being a true Christian is that you care for fellow believers. Question we need to have in our mind, what will Christ say on the last day about our time? Rather than using it for myself, did I get on my knees and intercede for suffering Christians around me and in the nations? What will he say about whether I was too focused on myself? And this is what I really struggle with. I'm so focused on my work with Christ, I don't see the needs of those around me. What will we say about our finances? The last day, did we use it for ourselves? Did we use it for his glory? It's a bit heavy, I know, but it will get. It's about to get lighter, so don't. Don't worry. But um, yeah. So, what does this mean for us? Well, we've seen a lot already. But first of all, remember that God sees us. He sees our time, our energy, our finances. But most of all, He sees our hearts. Do we love our brothers and sisters? The thing is, this fear of God can make us think of a God who is terrifying and vindictive against us. But no, the amazing news about the fear of God is you're standing in front of a holy and powerful God who could wipe you off the face of the earth like that. That is the same God who loves you. It's the same God who loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you. And give you his spirit to be part of a new humanity, the church, full of people who care for one another. Imagine that world with me, that that the church loves, people in the church love other believers like family. Imagine that. Thing is, we mean the world to God. This God we fear, we mean the world to him. And so he doesn't want us to be like the world in which the rich oppress the poor. He wants us to be in this people who love each other. That's such an amazing prospect. Um, Andy was speaking last week. He said, you don't need to worry about what this is going to mean for you, cost of living and stuff like like that, because you're in a church and we love each other and we support each other. Imagine if that was the case all the time throughout the world that is what the Lord is crying out for us to bring to be brought into that's what he's trying to do we need to have this good and perfect fear of the Lord that causes us to delight in the things that delight in him that delight him we need to delight in bringing honour to the Lord who loves us by caring for his people delight in obeying his commands to love fellow believers caring about what he thinks of us and not how can we make the most of our time our effort, our finance. But did you notice something really incredible? The people get it. The people get what, how the law loves them and what he's trying to do. Because what's their response to conviction? Praise. 
It says they praise him. That's an odd reaction, isn't it? We often don't think about that, that we kind of think when we get convicted that, oh no, I'm an awful person and you feel really down about it. But it's a strong conviction. But they praise God. And why? Because they get it. They get the beauty of when God's people care for each other and the world that the Lord is trying to bring them into. They get it. Let's be like them. Let's get it. Let's buy into it. Let's care for brothers and sisters. But let's not just feel convicted in the moment. No, let's be like Jeremiah. I think this is one of the biggest dangers that we go out and we forget about this. But like, so I said, Jeremiah, like Nehemiah, there's lots of eyes. Like Nehemiah, let's think, let's use our heads. How can we change and act boldly? But what are some practical ways, just quickly, I know I'm running ahead. First of all, cost of living, people around us. As it says in Deuteronomy 15.4, I love this verse. There need be no poor among you. We need to watch out for the need around us. Put other people first. Care for them. Secondly, what we do is Christ first already. Uh, Pray for the church. Prayer is important. Pray, pray, pray. Above all else, pray. Pray for brothers and sisters who are suffering. We have um, support persecuted church. There are links with New Ground and New Frontiers. They're the governing governing bodies. Is that the right word? Probably not. But people we're under. We're people we're part of. Um, and we also support Wycliffe Bible Translation. This guy called Nick Haydock um, to have the Bible written into a language that doesn't currently have it. And finally, as I said before, mentioned Open Doors. It's an amazing charity. Amazing, amazing charity. And they have the World Watch List where they on their website, which is an amazing website, they show you what's it like to be a Christian in North Korea, what's it like to be a Christian in Sudan, and praying is also give. Um, there's not that's just like kind of thirty-seven quid. It's the it's the baseline for what like family needs, but it could be more, more or less or whatever. Um, so yeah, but pray, pray, pray. I think it's the key, and that's what we'll be doing later. Why there wasn't a prayer time before is because in a bit we'll get into groups and we'll pray for um, brothers and sisters. I think that's it. So yes, what do we do now? To so pray. Yeah, I don't mind. Brilliant. So turn into small groups with people around you. Sort it out, fight over it. Hopefully not. But um, try and uh, get into groups. Um, Bottom? Fives. There's no rules, Aaron. (laughs) And so on on the screen, we'll be praying for two countries and then we'll pray for... Um, believers so on the board on the board is some um, prayer points about first of all Afghanistan which is number one on the world watch list at the moment with the Taliban um, taking control in August and then North Korea so pray a bit for Afghanistan